I was thinking this week, if there was one thing I could do for all of us, every single person here, myself included, it would be to take any level of apathy we may have in our lives towards God and just shake it free completely. Any level of apathy or or indifference. And I thought, that in line with the question, if you were to make a list, let's say you had a piece of paper, and you were to make a list on this blank sheet of all the things that you wouldn't give to God God, if God asked for, think about how many things you might have on that list. It might get really long. You might have to flip to another sheet of paper, and and it might continue on past that if we're honest and really stop and, and think about it. Putting those two together is where I ended up as, as I was working my way through the text we'll be looking at today. And it struck me that if you look at a, a Christian in America versus a Christian in many other parts of the world where you have persecution, I'll bring this all together for you. These aren't ramblings of the mind. There's a time difference, I understand, but assuming there was, and right now as we gather to worship and we kind of work our way in a little bit, if we're, if we're honest, varying degrees of apathy as we walk in and tiredness and exhaustion, some perhaps who are dying not to have to go to church today, you have people in other parts of the world that will literally die to gather together to worship God. What's the difference? How do we have a culture where it's like, oh, good Lord, do I really have to get up and go to church today? Whereas you're in other places of the world, people praise God that they wake up under severe persecution and may in fact die if they want to go to a secret church because they're not allowed to gather together to worship. It's a massive disconnect, isn't there? You know, in the underground church in China, I don't imagine they have these beautiful subterranean facilities to attract people in secretly. People are attracted to something. And I think it might be different than what we're attracted to. People have shaken off the apathy because there's no room for apathy when your life's on the line, but, but we can struggle with apathy. And I think that if we looked at their list of things they wouldn't give to God if God asked for, it might be a whole lot shorter than the list we come up with as American Christians. Today we're going to look at two parables. They take up a whopping uh, three verses together. As we look at them, we're going to be in Matthew 13, starting in verse 44. What I want to do for you is this. I want to to show you the gospel is a diamond. And I want to reveal to you today another facet of the diamond. Because each facet of the diamond, the gospel that we see, as we see more clearly and allow it to shine more brightly, our list of I won't give it to God shrinks. The apathy shakes off. And we rejoice in the fact that we can actually gather together and don't face the persecution of people in the other parts of the world, do we? we? We revel in the reality of the fact that we're living as ambassadors for Christ, given the awesome responsibility and gift of sharing the good news with those who don't know it, because we all face an eternity either in relationship with God or separated from God. And we go out and proclaim that, should be, in joy and in love. We're going to look at parables that deal with treasures. And, and as we do... Think about, if you read through the Gospels, how Jesus presents the kingdom of God. Do you ever notice Jesus almost makes it too hard, it might seem, for people to to come to faith? What must I do to inherit eternal life, someone asks him. He says, give it all away. Someone says, what do you have to do to be saved? You think of John 3, you think of Nicodemus, he's beating a man down. You blind fool, you, you call yourself a teacher and you don't understand the basics? guy says, Jesus, can I follow you? He says, where are you going to hide? There's nowhere to go if you follow me. You could die. 
In fact, he says, some people, you will die if you follow me. It's almost like he's saying to people, hey, don't do it. It's too hard. You don't want, you don't want a piece of this. You can't drink the cup. It's going to be too difficult and too costly. You'd have to give up everything to follow me. Do you really want to do it? You're going to have trouble. You're going to have tribulation. You're going to face persecution. They're going to hate you because they hated me. You really want to follow me? And then often as we present the gospel in the context of our culture, we do the exact opposite. We water it down. We sweeten it up. We turn Jesus into like a sweetener to put into tea to make some sweet tea. Add a little bit of Jesus to your life and your life gets so much better and sweeter and you'll enjoy it. And whatever it takes to bring somebody in. You know, oh, just come on and let, let's remove the crosses from the front because it might offend somebody. Let's present a Jesus who they're comfortable with. Let's make Jesus look handsome or pretty, depending on your demographic, and be sweet and loving. Remove the holiness and, and the wrath of God that make the, the grace and love so awesome. And we're presenting them to them something in a way Jesus never intended for us to present it. And that brings us to these parables. This is actually an uplifting sermon. Stick with me. These are the parables of the field, the treasure in the field, and the, the, great, the pearl of great value. In Matthew 13, I'm in verse 44, and it reads, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. That's some risky business, isn't it? If you're in finance, Patty, someone says to you, I want to put all of my assets into one single investment. What would you say to them? You don't do You diversify, right? You'd be out of your mind to put all your eggs in one basket. It could go horribly wrong. Imagine a guy, if you will, call him Mark, and he's, he's sitting there one night, two in the morning, only light on in the house is a reading lamp. And he's got two envelopes, because he has a decision he has to make. See, he's been presented with the opportunity to become a partner in a startup firm. They have almost a billion dollars in capital raised from venture capitalists. He is given the opportunity to be a partner in this, and has tremendous upside. But it also has tremendous downside, because what's it going to cost him to be a partner? Everything. All of his liquid assets go in. He's going to have to put his house up on the line. He's going to have to take loans out on everything he owns. He's going to have to liquidate his retirement plans early. He's going to have to put everything he has into this one venture that could make him one of the wealthiest people on the earth or one of the poorest on the face of the earth with not a nickel to his name. He has two envelopes. and In one is an envelope accepting the offer to be a partner with, with the check of all of his assets accumulated to hand over. The other is a thank you, but no thank you. No. Cost is too high. I can't do it. And he's sitting there trying to decide what to do. In part, that's what we have here. Jesus is presenting the kingdom of heaven, first like a, a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has so that he could buy the field and own the treasure. Imagine this man liquidating his assets and his, his friends. What are you doing? Oh, I'm liquidating everything. What are you going to do with it? I'm going to buy a field. Why? Oh my gosh, there's a treasure in the field. You're going to take everything for a treasure in a field? Oh yeah. You're out of your mind. You're going to have no land. You're going to have no house. How are you going to provide for your family? You're going to liquidate it all for a treasure in a field? Yeah. 
You're out of your mind. No, I'm not. You haven't seen the treasure. He tells, oh, please, what kind of treasure could it be? And yet he doggedly perseveres and liquidates and buys. And there's another man. This one's a merchant. He's a pearl merchant. He knows what pearls are supposed to look like. And back in this time, pearls were the diamonds of our age. They were the most precious um, jewel you could get. They, they, to get. You know, pearls come from the ocean, right? And people didn't have the modern technology they have today to go down and swim along the bottom and extract pearls. They would actually tie rocks to themselves and dive into the depths of the Mediterranean, face the, the creatures that live there that could kill them as they attempted to not die of what we know as the bends, as they extracted oysters to look for pearls. And when they find a perfect pearl, a precious pearl, the value would be extreme. And, and this man was out looking for the most precious pearl, and he found it. But to have it, he had to get rid of everything. It would cost him everything he had. And imagine his fellow pearl merchants. Hiram, what the heck are you doing? I found the most precious pearl. I'm selling off all the pearls I have. I'm selling off everything I own to get this most precious pearl. Are you crazy? It's a horrible investment. One pearl for everything you have? Yes! They think he's crazy, but is he crazy? I don't know. You got Mark under the light. You got the guy in the field. You got Hiram the pearl merchant. And then you have us. Jesus says, you want what I got? You want this treasure? You want this precious pearl? You want the kingdom of God? We say, yeah. He says, you know what it's going to cost you? What? Everything. How often do you think of that? Following Jesus will cost you everything. Potentially, literally, everything. That list, that fictitious imaginary list we just talked about, everything on that list, he could say, give it to me. And your options are, yes, kingdom of God, please. It's too much. You'll walk away crying like the rich young man. You ever stop and think about that? I'm not just talking about your material assets. I'm talking about your reputation, your relationships, your vocation. Any type of comfort you have in life, Jesus is saying, hey, it's mine. If I say give it, you give it. No options if you want to be a follower of mine. Think about that before you follow me. Is that how we present Jesus to people? Yeah, I'd, like, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. He loves you. True, we're going to get to that. He wants to live with you in a relationship. True, we're going to get to that. But let's start with what he's saying off the bat. You, everything you have, everything you are, it's his. Are you willing to give it all up for him? The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. It's a free gift, right? We're saved by grace through faith, not by works, right? Isaiah 55.1 has an odd passage, if you look. You can go there if you want. It deals with buying, but without money. Isaiah 55, verse 1. You see, they're actually, the, the gift of God, the work of Christ is free for us, but it comes with extraordinary cost. It's a risky venture. You're going all in or all out with Jesus. With my whole heart I seek you, let me not wander from your commandments. Jesus is saying, it's all mine if you want to be a follower of mine. Come and buy, with no money, but with the cost of your very own life. He says, he who loses his life will save it. Right? If you try to keep it, you're going to lose it. Now this sounds crazy. But I want you to understand 
that there is tremendous cost for following Jesus. What I also want you to understand is this. We're all going to have a little problem if I stop here. Because is anybody doing this perfectly? Has anybody willingly and completely submitted everything in their life to Christ right this moment? So are you all going to hell? No. Get to the issue of do you care? Are you submitting more and more? Are you maturing in your faith? We come to faith, we're not perfected. We're being made perfect. You understand that? He doesn't say to the rich young man, go and sell everything and then you can follow me and I'll be waiting here and once you sell it all, you can follow me. What he was looking for was a... I can't. I love it too much, but I don't want to love it. I want to love you, but I just don't know what to do. And Jesus would have said at that point, now you've got it. On your own, you can't do it. But through me, you can do all things. He says to us, see that list? Give it to me. Jesus, I can't. I love these things too much. I think I love them more than you, but it makes me sick. I don't want to. And he says, perfect, because I came to heal the sick. We're still sick. We have apathy in our lives. We have indifference. We wake up some days, we're just like, God, I have things going on. I don't have time for you. I'm too busy. Get out of my way. I'll get back to you when I have time. Don't. We'll get to the why in a moment. But have you ever thought and chewed on the cost of following Jesus? This is one of the reasons I'm very glad I know everybody here and I'm not preaching in a large church because you preach a sermon like this, the next Sunday you may have a lot less people come back. But I suspect when we're done, we might have some more show up because I'm going to give you the other side of the coin. I used to have a problem when I was young in my faith. This is where it goes from a risky proposition to a great bargain. I knew without a doubt who God was. The sovereign, all-powerful, redeemer, creator, and sustainer of the universe. Basically, he was a giant fist. He would say, give me the damn list, boy. Okay. Don't hit me, please. Because I knew that God could have whatever he wanted. If God wanted me dead, guess what? I'm dead. If God wanted all my stuff, he could rip it from me. If God wanted to take anything from me, he could do it. So I give it to him. The weirdest thing happened. All of my friends who weren't Christians had a lot more joy and peace than I did. Because I was scared out of my mind. Where's the joy in this God? If I want you dead, you will die. Rejoice. Fine, but can I pretend that you can't do that? You know, if I, if I develop some obsessive compulsive tapping tendency, can I overcome your power like a pagan deity? So my friends are like, I will live long life. If I do, if I, you know, if I become the me I want to be, I will have joy and peace and happiness. And they actually believe this lie and they are happy. And I'm sitting over there quietly like, oh my gosh, I don't see the joy. This stinks. So like, if I don't give God what he wants from me, he's going to rip it from me because he's all powerful. Where's the joy in this? It was kind of like God saying, see that throne you're trying to sit on? Get out of the way or I'll squish you. So I'm like, all right, I'll get up. But where's the joy? Is there much joy in that? So we have the two extremes. We have the people that are like, you know what, Jesus, please come and get it. You want the list? Come and get it. Like, like we're going to whoop him. The other side was the me. Jesus, I don't want to give it up, but I got to, and this is miserable, and there's no joy in this, but I'll pretend there is, and I'll go tell people how awesome you are that you can kill them if you want to, and they have to give you everything you demand for because you love them. Yeah, woo! Right? Where's the joy? What makes this a great bargain? Well, you don't have to go to hell. Isn't that what it's all about? If you love Jesus, you don't have to go to hell. Go tell everybody if you believe in Jesus, you don't have to go to hell, and this life will freak you out, and then you get to go to heaven, and you just do whatever he says anyway, and it's awesome, but it beats the heck out of hell. Right? Try that out this week on people. See how it works. But what I was missing was the other side of the coin. 
the grace, the love, the mercy. Why does Jesus, why does Jesus demand everything from us? Because he's greedy? Is that it? He wants us to be miserable? Why does he demand everything is the key to understanding why there is no risk in our business, but it's the greatest bargain you can ever have. And it's the only way you will ever experience true joy. And the more you do, the more enabled you will be, not just to go out and tell other people, but come on a Sunday morning, you'll actually get out of bed, sore, tired, exhausted, but excited, because of what you're about to get to do with your fellow believers that gather together. When you go to work, when you go to the store, when you go anywhere out of your house, you're going to consider yourself a missionary. Because you have the greatest news the world has ever heard that you get to share through word and deed with other people. But you've got to understand the other side of the coin. The other side of the coin is this. These parables interpret very easily just the way I did. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man goes out and finds and covered up. Then in his joy he goes, sells all that he has, and buys that field. What's the treasure supposed to represent? kingdom of God, Jesus. I mean, it's, it's real, real easy. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of pearl, fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. What's that pearl represent? Kingdom of God, Jesus. He talks about it. But what happens if you do this? You see that? Looks like Hebrew now. What happens if you turn the parable upside down? What happens if you turn Jesus into the guy who finds a treasure or the merchant in search of a pearl? Try it that way on for size. A man goes out, he finds a treasure hidden up, then he goes in his joy, sells all that he has, and buys that field. What if I told you, you're the treasure, and Jesus bought you at the price of everything he had? What is that? his very own life. You ever think about that? What if I told you, you were the pearl, and Jesus bought you at the cost of everything he had, at the cost of coming down from heaven, becoming a man, living a perfect life, dying on the cross, being separated from God, taking the full wrath of God upon himself because you were so precious to him. Have you ever stopped to think about that? So you make the list. You can't have it, Jesus. He says, would you look at me for who I am? Do you think I want to make you miserable? Do you think I'm going to beat you to death? Do you think I'm going to make you give stuff up and laugh at you? Look at me for who I am and think about why I say I want it. Because you can't handle it. It's mine anyway. I'm going to give it back to you a hundredfold. But see me for who I am. I'm the guy who went out and bought you at the cost of everything. Do you see how Jesus sees us? God wasn't like Renee came to faith. Oh, man. You know how crowded it's getting up here? You know? Kelly comes to faith. One more? Please. I can't take these people. They're dirty. They're disgusting. Jesus, why the heck did you have to open this can up? And John had it right when he thought I was just going to beat you down. No. There's rejoicing in heaven. Do you know why the angels rejoice over one person coming to faith? It ain't because they're so happy in and of themselves. It's because they know the Father's joy. You understand that? 
Do you know how joyful God was when you came to faith? Do you know how joyful God is that you live in an eternal relationship with Him? Start to see Him for who He is, and then look at why He demands what He does through that lens. Give it to me. Give me your very own life. Why? Because you don't know what to do with it. But I do. Trust me, I made you. I will care for you perfectly. Look at what I did. My son, my very own son, I sent to die for you so that you could have an eternal relationship with me. Do you think I'm really going to skimp you out on some cash in your back pocket? Do you think I'm going to have your reputation destroyed and make you live a miserable life because I hate you? Or do you think I know what I'm talking about? Do you think that your brothers in China and Sudan and Iran know something you don't know? Yes, they see me more clearly for who I am. And they're willing to die because they know that as Paul says, to die is gain. Because they get to go in his presence right away. Chuck Colson died yesterday. You guys know who Chuck Colson is? I thought that was sad. I don't think Chuck Colson is sad right now, do you? I think Chuck Colson could look back at some of these, these verses and say, Whoa! Whoa! I wish I didn't have a list of stuff I didn't want you to touch. I wish I could do it again. Could I go back and tell some people, get rid of the list? Oh my gosh! God, you are not only awesome and magnificent, but your love is way beyond what I could ever have comprehended. Whoa! I guarantee you that's what he's doing. Now, why don't we? Why don't we? So when we leave here today, we have every opportunity to be distracted from the beauty of the diamond that is the gospel. We have busy schedules. We have things to do. We have chores at home. We have business to attend to. We have an agenda we want to push. We have we have. You know, to shape our kids into what we want them to be and ourselves into what we want us to be and relationships with our neighbors. Stop. Stop. Be still, God says, and know that I am God. Focus. Think about who Jesus really is. There is tremendous cost with following Jesus. You cannot keep a list and say, there's my list, don't touch it. Now I'll call you Father. You can't do it. That's exactly what he's saying throughout Scripture. You want to hang on to that? You can't. You can't hang on to that and come to me. What you can do is this. Back up a little bit. God, all right. I understand now. I see where the joy comes from. The joy doesn't come from knowing that if you want me dead, I'll die. The joy doesn't come from knowing that whatever you want of mine, you can take. That you can destroy my reputation. That you could go all Job on me. And not finish the story. That you can make me a pariah in my neighborhood, make me ache in miserable pain, that you can have me beaten and mutilated and burned alive and and laugh at me. You don't do that, God. But I understand, if all those things, unless the laughing happened, there's a reason for it, which I can't comprehend, but I'm I'm willing to understand, to allow you to show me that it is for my greater good. How is that possible, God? I don't know. But help me, see. God, take my list and shorten it day by day. Help me take the uncomfortable steps of faith in knowing that because I'm focused on you for who you are, that you will care for me perfectly. Help me understand a little more fully that the cost you paid so that I might call you Father makes any cost I might pay not even worth mentioning. See that? And you understand any cost that we might pay we receive back a hundredfold. Now stop and think about this. 
we can go through the routine of being a Christian. We can go with the, the joyless monotony. We, we could go with the, the no more please attitude, I'll call it, of being a Christian. Jesus, here's as far as I want to go. No more please. You know, I invited someone to church a few times, but it's now making an awkward situation relationally. No more please. Jesus, I, I tried to tell my neighbors about you somehow. It didn't work. I botched up my one attempt. No, no more please. Jesus, I, I don't want you impeding on how I'm raising my kids. No more, please. And we try to box him out of what we're comfortable with. I guess technically you can live that way and be a child of God if you want, because you're saved by grace through faith and not by works. Last week's sermon. Remember, it's all done. A Christian can do whatever they want. But someone who sees Jesus for who he is, who knows him more fully for who he truly is, changes little by little from a no more please attitude to a take it all. God, see, here's what I want my kids to be. But I'd rather see what your intention is. God, here's how I want to live relationally with my neighbors. But I'd rather see what you want to do with that. God, here's my goal vocationally. But let's see what your plan is instead. Let me ask you this question. What's the upside to hanging on to anything on your list? Give me one upside. You ever stop and think about that? Anything on the list. Jesus, you can't have it. What's the upside? We think we keep control. We think, but we're deluded. You understand there's no upside. None. What's the downside? I think we can make a mighty long list about that, can't we? So what is it that keeps us in this no more please attitude? I think it's a lot of stuff. I, I can only speak for myself. I can assume for others. There are lots of distractions that we have in this world. We have a lot of great stuff where we live. I would rather live nowhere else on the face of the earth. My greatest fear used to be, you know, well, God, if I pray this prayer as if I control him like a wooden idol, if I pray that whatever, whatever you want, you can have for me, whatever you want to do with me, I'll do it. He's going to say, good, Botswana. And there's no air conditioning and there's no running water where you're going. Like, and I'm like, oh, I couldn't do it. On my own, I couldn't. You all, some of you know how well I handle heat. Please, can you imagine a place with no Purell, no running water, no air conditioning? I'd be looking for that, you know, intense persecution up front. But the truth is, if God sent me there, I would never have joy anywhere else fully but there. And the better I understand and see God for who he truly is, the faster I'd be getting my backside to Botswana if he said go. But God isn't here to beat me down. He's here to build me up. I don't particularly think he's going to send me to Botswana. Don't have the pessimistic attitude of God. Have the optimistic because you're going to be right every time. If he sends me to Botswana, you all have to come too, and you can all help me, you know, fanning myself. But folks, our job is to see him for who he truly is. And the more we do, the more we're going to get out there and live in light of the reality that is. What I want to be able to do for you guys and for myself is to equip you to do several things. The first is to see Jesus more fully, more clearly for who he really is. Because the more fully and clearly you see him, the more unable you will be to not be willing to give to him anything he demands. The second thing I want to help you do is understand the reality of eternity and why we're here. We're not here just to hang out and wait to die so we can go to heaven. We're here in preparation for heaven and, and as a... Uh, a rescue squad, per se. For some strange reason, God entrusted this good news 
of the guy out finding treasure and buying it at the cost of his very own life. The guy out looking for the finest pearl and buying it at the cost of everything, namely Jesus and everyone. For some reason, God entrusts us with the awesome responsibility of going out and proclaiming this love to the world. That's why we're here. I want to equip you to know who Jesus is. I want to equip you to understand the reality of the predicament, the situation we live in in light of eternity. And I want to equip you to go out and do that for us, collectively, for us, individually, to live our lives fully as ambassadors for Christ, understanding that it ain't nothing we're giving up and losing, but it's just gain, gain, gain for us, for others, and brings glory to God. The only way that's going to happen is if we allow God to, to take us and shake us. Maybe violently at times, maybe a gentle pat on the back at times. He will prune because he loves us. He will shake the apathy free if we allow him to, because he wants us to be fully committed followers of Christ, not because we're afraid of him, but because we love him and see him for who he truly is. So as you take these parables, I have never looked at them this way before. I've always taken them as, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. I take that, took that as the cost of the kingdom, of entrance to the kingdom of God is everything. And it is. Then you read on, again, the kingdom of God is like a merchant that finds fine pearls, who on finding one pearls of great, pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Same thing. I understand it. Costs you everything. You've got to die to self. But I never fully saw the upside of what happens when you flip it over. Now, wait a minute. It's true, but, but the motivation comes from seeing Jesus for who he is and what he did. And once you see that, you can't be apathetic about anything. How can you, how can you do this? God says, I, I would like you all to gather together. I'm paraphrasing what's clearly said in Scripture. I'd like you to gather together regularly as a church and worship me. Take care of one another, love one another, provide for one another, go out into the world and proclaim the good news to the lost. And we say, oh, please. Do you know I work Monday to Friday? This whole Sabbath thing, my back. I'm busy, man. You can't. You can't. When you see Jesus for who he is and what he did, you're hopping ready to do whatever God calls you to. Here's the kicker. You don't feel that way right now, do you? Honestly. Nobody here is fully all in, 100% high-octane gospel power. But you can get there. It starts with the list. And I would encourage you to do this. Take some time today. Take the whole week if you need it. Get a piece of paper. Keep it for yourself. Put it away. Freak somebody out. They find this list there. It's like, you're making a hit list? Why am I on it? But make a list. What if God said, give me, would you say no? Let him help you see that. Because you know you can't trick God, right? God knows your heart. It's not like if you don't put it on the list, God's like, oh, I thought I was confused. But do that list, and then stop. Read these two parables again. And then think about who Jesus is, how he sees you, and what he did for you. And then I would truly like you to stop and go through that list again. I'm going to do this too. And ask yourself, why wouldn't I give that? to the guy who loves me so much that at the cost of his very own life, he secured an eternal relationship with me. You understand what that is. 
Jesus, at the cost of his very own life, came down and died on the cross so that he could live in relationship with us. He chose us. And he's saying, let me take care of you perfectly. And I love everybody else. Would you let them know I love them? Start with the list. See where you get. Next Sunday when you wake up, maybe take a little time to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are persecuted to the point of death for their faith. Maybe take a little time to thank God for the fact that we can drive in in our comfortable air-conditioned and heated cars to worship together in a climate-controlled environment like this. But let's not let those things distract us from the beauty of the facet, each facet of this diamond that is the gospel. How much Jesus loves us, of what he's done for us, and how there is really no risk, there is no great cost to us. It's really a bargain beyond measure. Do you see that? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I, I know that at times we all struggle to, to come to you and to, to read your word and to hear from you through it for, for varying reasons. Maybe that's something we need to put on our list, our time. God, allow us to, to hear from you through your living word. Allow us to see you for who you are. Allow us to, to be floored and awed by your incredible love and grace and mercy for us. Allow us to see you for who you really are and not through who we make you up to be at times. Allow not our doubts to distort our vision of you, but allow the clarity of you to remove our doubts. God, I thank you for these parables. I thank you for you revealing to us not only the cost of following you, but the upside as well and the cost to you that we might be able to follow you. God, if we slow down and let that sink in, we will be floored day by day. That God himself, the one who has existed for all of eternity, the Alpha and the Omega, the Creator through whom all things were created and for whom all things were created, God loves us so much that he came down from heaven to become a man, to die on the cross, to rise from the dead, so that we could come and live in an eternal relationship with you, so that you could care for us perfectly. And one of your greatest desires, Father, is that none should be lost, but all should be saved. And that in large part that happens through our proclamation of your word, through our sharing of your love, which will never work if we try to do it on our own. It'll take a miracle to bring people to faith. It would take a miracle for us to give you all that you demand from us. God, I thank you for the fact that you are the miracle worker. That as we walk in obedience to you, we will know true joy. That as we walk in obedience to you, other people will come to know true joy. And that one day we'll go meet our brother Chuck Colson in person, seeing a man who, who lived a troubled life at times, who lived a life of rebellion against you, who came to faith through your grace and mercy, rejoicing in your presence. And we too will enter into our eternal rest with you. I pray that when we do, we don't look back with regrets, but look back in celebration. I pray we are not shocked when we see you for who you really are, but we are more amazed by the inadequacy of the perfection we saw on this side. God, help us with our lists of no more please, and make us into a take-it-all person, as we understand the God who gave it all, so that we might live in relationship with you. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray all these things. Amen.